Brothers Mangan and all of this church and wonderful staff and people and to all the wonderful platform guests that are here today, these wonderful missionaries, and to our district superintendent, Brother Tinney, Brother Kilgore, and all the other guests here, Brother Urshan. We're blessed to have such marvelous leadership throughout our movement. Thank God for, for all he gives to us through uh, the, the help of men that love this gospel. It's great to be here, and I, you know, it's a wonderful thing, this church and all of the sponsors of this program put it together and make it possible for all of us to be here. And uh, It's not an easy thing. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy. And I know you've done it before, but why don't you give this church and all the sponsoring ministers a great big hand. That's right. They deserve it. This church has been working so hard the last week or so, not only getting ready for this meeting, but also taking care of all the missionaries that have come in from all around the world. So it's a great thing that they are doing. And it's a privilege uh, to be here this afternoon. When Brother uh, Mangan called me a few months ago and told me that I was going to be preaching right after Brother Johnny James, I asked him, I said, have you ever heard uh, Brother James uh, preach? And he said, well, not really. And he said on tape or something. I said, you have just done me the worst possible thing that you could possibly have. So, and then he gets up here and uses this friend deal on me. But, uh, I'm curious. I want to say to all the students, we have students here from Indiana Bible College and from Texas and these wonderful young men that are studying and uh, Brother James is an example of someone who has allowed the Lord to use his mind. Thank God for that, and I know he's got to be a challenge. Now we're going to go back to Commodore 64. And um, Turn slowly to 1 Kings chapter 18. My favorite quote in all the world is one by Billy Cole, and he'll forgive me for using it. He said one time right before he preached that he felt like a Mack truck with a Volkswagen engine. But I do want to direct your attention to First Kings. I mean, no, there's power in the preached Word of God. And it came to pass, we're going to look at First Kings chapter 18 and verse number 17, and this is a very well-known of scripture of course and uh, I'm not going to uh, review the whole story because I know I'm talking for the most part to people who have read this many many times and plus not only uh, did brother Mangan ask me to follow brother James but he asked me to preach right before lunch so all of those things will rush in and it came to pass that when Ahab saw Elijah and Ahab said unto him art thou he that troubleth Israel this is an interesting question because it's obvious that Ahab had misdirected his anger. It shouldn't have been toward the preacher. There are people in our society today, very similar to this, who think the church is the problem. The church is not the problem. And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou, 
man of God, fearless here in chapter number 18. He has some problems in chapter 19, but he's got his act together in chapter 18, which helps us to understand that God can use men sometimes at a moment, and they seem like giants. And then we get over to chapter 19, and he's suffering from some very serious depression. It's an interesting thing. Here he's strong. The Holy Ghost is on him. And that's why he's strong, because the Holy Spirit is on him. I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. And here's the reason. In that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. And and you hear all these discussions in society about what the problems for drug addiction, the problems for this and that. But you never hear anybody talk about the fact that people have forsaken righteousness and holiness. And this is always a problem society when we get away from truth. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long art thou hot? Between two opinions, if the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. This is a very tragic commentary on the people's understanding here of the things of God. Now let's pray that the Lord will help us. Jesus, in your precious name, touch us and talk to us here tonight, today. Help us to understand the things that you would have us to know in the Spirit. Because our life, our anointing, our strength, our help comes from you. We need you, God, to talk to us right now. In the name of the Lord, speak to our hearts and help us to understand the things that are given to us through the preached word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Somebody uh, has, uh, I think, rightly tagged the times in which we live as as a time of perhaps uh, opportunity unlike the church has never seen before, even going so far as to say that we may be approaching a new apostolic age in this sense. The society that you live in is filled with people who have no real understanding of the Scripture, who really do not know the Bible. When you go out to witness to people, as we all know, we find people who are biblically illiterate. They don't understand the Scriptures. Secondly, we live in a time when there is a whole new level of persecution against Christians. We're facing a hostile population against Christianity. Not only that, but there are new entrenched philosophies and religious concepts that we must fight against. And like the apostles, we have to go out into this world and try to convince this world in the face of these obstacles that they need to give their lives and turn over their wills to Jesus Christ. So in that sense, I would agree with those who say we face a new apostolic age. In other words, an age that calls upon the church to be fully and completely endued with the power of the Holy Ghost. This is not a time for us to think that we can work or by ourselves or through our own ingenuity or intellect. We need the help of the Lord. Is there anybody here that feels like they need the help of the Lord? I was in a hotel just yesterday. The alarms went off and the thing, you know how it does. It was a false alarm. But it took about 15 or 20 minutes for us to get the message. And people were starting to empty out of their rooms. And one lady coming out of her room said to me and to some other gentlemen, a couple other ladies that were coming out in the hallway, she said, don't worry, I've got a bottle of water and a wet towel. Now, here's a hotel, a eight-story hotel. 
hotel on fire, but she tells me not to worry. She's got a bottle of water and a wet towel. So she typifies, I think, the false sense of confidence that the world has. Some people think because they have a little touch of spirituality or a little touch of religious feelings or because they're good people that that is the sum total. That's the essence of it all. So they don't realize that you can't escape the things that's coming upon this world just with a wet towel and a bottle of water. But we need the power and anointing of the Holy Ghost in our hearts and in our lives. So here is this great prophet in 1 Kings chapter 18 and he and what I'm going to try to get across to you this afternoon is, is about this thing that I feel we face in society, this new apostolic age. How do we, what, give us some idea uh, what we have to do, let's say, what we have to, uh, what we have to accomplish to really communicate, to really, to, uh, to uh, be relative in this time. That's what I'm going to try to talk to you about. And I want to use this example that we've all used so many times in 1 Kings chapter 18 because you can't read this confrontation between Elijah and Ahab without asking, why is this man, I mean, this, this prophet of God is not content to allow these false prophets to coexist with the rest of society. He's alarmed about the influence that they have. And you will note that he is dealing with prophets who the scriptures say uh, have uh, their dinner with Jezebel. Dinner at Jezebel's house. And Elijah the prophet realizes that the effectiveness of God's people is going to be corrupted by these prophets, false prophets, demonized with doctrines that are going to destroy the relationship of God to his people unless he can step up and make a difference. Unless he can come and bring the message and bring the truth that will revolutionize. So I would like to suggest to you that the reason that this great prophet, the reason why he felt the burden is because he realized that nothing could happen, nothing positive could take place unless somebody was willing to pay the price for truth, for righteousness. So we're all confronted with that question here. Who among us will pay the price for truth and righteousness? Because truth really does matter. If you have hope that's based on some fantasy or some idea that isn't truth, then what kind of hope is that? I was listening to a man speak, uh, William Bennett, who wrote the book, The Devaluing of America. He said something that struck my heart, and it's what I want... To, to, uh, to uh, try to communicate to you today. He said, you have to remember that the word whatever is not in the Bible and it's not in the Federalist Papers. You can't build a nation, he said, on whatever. Now, I took out my book quickly and I wrote that down. The word whatever, he said, is not in the Bible. Well, I want to check it out. Sure enough, the word whatever is not in the Bible. This was Ezekiel's, Elijah's, this was Elijah's uh, concern because here were these prophets eating over at Jezebel's house partying down, having a good time but he knew that whatever would not turn the nation around whatever is not in the Bible whatever is not going to make a difference whatever is not going to survive the kinds of things we face today and yet I know there are people 
who think that whatever. There are some who even think that it's uh, some mark of sophistication to just say, well, whatever. Some people think it's a mark of sophistication to say they don't care. But nations were not built on whatever. So here is this great prophet Elijah who can see through the window into Jezebel's table. And here are these prophets, these false prophets, whining and dining with all the big shots of their generation. But he realizes that their culpability here is a very real thing because... He knows in his heart, by revelation of the Holy Spirit, that whatever doesn't get it. You can't be a prophet just to appease or to appeal to the masses. So he rises up and he meets with the king and he says, in effect, we've got to establish here. We've got to put to the test all of these things that we say we believe. You know, a faith unexamined is not worth very much. And if you have real faith and real belief in God, you can survive the scrutiny of a test. Real doctrine will survive the scrutiny of a test. I wish somebody would help me preach a little bit here now. Whatever doesn't get it. Whatever is not in the Bible. So, Elijah the prophet comes along and he says, look, we've got to find out if the folks are going to love God, they're going to serve God, if God is God, or if Baal is the prophet, because there is no whatever in this. We can't let people just go on on whatever. Now, we have some folks who like to pretend that they're highly sophisticated and educated or they're highly, uh, highly gifted in some way. And they want to introduce the idea to our young people and to others that just whatever will get it. But whatever doesn't get it. Somebody tell me, whatever is not in the Bible. Say that to me. Whatever is not in the Bible. Say it again. Whatever. Not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, whatever doesn't get it at all. Now, what I want to do this afternoon, right before we go to lunch, I want to put whatever to the test. Because, now I'm not going to tell the whole story. It just takes too much time, and I'm a little bit hungry myself. <laughs> Let's put whatever to the test. Because that is, in essence, what the prophet Elijah did. He put it to the test. He said, Ahab, you've got a bunch of these prophets up there eating with Jezebel, having a good time, sitting around the table, enjoying all of these things that she's prepared. And we can only imagine the delicacies that she had prepared. And he comes along and says, I don't want this. I don't think this is going to work. There is no whatever in the law of God. There is no whatever in the Bible. There is no a message that you can just get up and preach and say, in essence, doesn't matter who you believe in, doesn't matter what you believe in, as Brother James so aptly taught us, and as Brother Tinney said to us today, the altar has to matter. Some things matter. Whatever is not in the Bible. Whatever doesn't get it. Whatever's not going to work. So any old kind of faith, and any old kind of doctrine, and any old kind of dogma, any old kind of stuff, there is no whatever in the Bible. Well, that's revolutionary. Because some people seem to think that there may be a whatever in the Bible. So let's put whatever to the test here today. Let's see if whatever will work. First of all, let's somebody, some great philosopher, some great theologian, somebody said that there were six great judgment seats in life. Six, six great things that judge everything about us in life. So let's take whatever. If there is no whatever, and I don't believe there is, let's put it to the test. Whatever. Taken to, first of all, the judgment seat of 
the natural laws just doesn't work. You can think, well, whatever. Put yourself, for an example, on the overpass of an interstate. And you have a bowling ball in your hand. Whatever, don't get it. And you say, I'm going to drop this bowling ball. And the person beside you says, whatever. No, whatever doesn't get it. There is a law of nature called the law of gravity that's going to take force there. And nobody will drop a bowling ball and watch it float. It's like an individual on a ledge getting ready to jump. There's not a whatever here. If you jump, you're going to suffer the consequence of the jump. Take a piece of paper and say, I'm going to throw it in the fire. Or not throw it in the fire. It's a critical decision. There is no whatever. Because if you throw it in the fire, it burns. There is the law of fire. There's the law of gravity. There is the law of water. The wind blows and destroys. The floods come and destroy. There is no whatever in nature. Nature is pitiless. It doesn't look down at you and say, well, he's a nice guy, so when he jumps off, let's let him float. Whatever. What, what do you mean, whatever? There is no whatever. I wish somebody would help me now. Hit the person beside you and say, there ain't no whatever. There ain't no whatever. When you take, and we have many folks that, you know, this is a cool thing to do. It's just like, well, what do you think about this whatever? What do you think about this whatever? What do you think about this whatever? But whatever doesn't hold up. Somebody tell me now, whatever's not in the Bible. You can't find that word in the Bible. The test, when you take whatever and put it to the test of, of the natural laws, you see it doesn't hold up. Whatever. Take for another one of these categories. Take the area of physical laws. Here's another place. Physical laws. Did you know there are physical laws? It doesn't matter how you feel about it. Somebody says, well, whatever. Well, there is no whatever. If you, you try to take uh, alcohol into your body... Somebody says, you want a drink? And you say, well, whatever. Well, there's no whatever. Somebody said, do drugs. There's no whatever to drugs. Somebody said, get mixed up in a little false doctrine. There's no whatever to false doctrine. It all has consequences. You can choose to drink, but you can't choose the consequences. You can choose to use drugs, but you can't choose the consequences. Somebody help me now. Put your hands together. Whatever. So here is the prophet Elijah saying, we've got an attitude developing here. And if you read this whole story, you'll see that he was concerned. People were settling for just whatever. It didn't seem to matter. They were self-destructing on the idea that it didn't matter what you believed. It didn't matter where your faith was. It didn't matter how you felt about God. But take whatever and put it to the test of physical laws. And everything you do is influenced by the physical laws. Stick your hand in the flame and you will get burned. Physical laws apply. There is no whatever. Take the judgment seat, the third judgment seat of life, and stick whatever in there. The judgment seat of civil law. I got stopped here in Louisiana. You, you can't do one of these whatevers on these Louisiana policemen. Try that the next time you get stopped doing 95 and a 55 and say, well, whatever. 
Whatever doesn't apply. There is no whatever. Somebody say whatever won't get it. We got to find out who's God here. We got to find out what the truth is here. Bring your prophets and get them together here. I know where they're at. They're up there at Jezebel's condo having lunch. Bring them on down here. The Bible said they were eating at Jezebel's table. What a symbol of compromise. But he said, no, we can't live with this. Whatever doesn't get it. It's not just any old kind of church. It's not any old kind of faith. It's not any old kind of way. It's not any old kind of deal. Whatever doesn't get it. Somebody say, whatever doesn't get it. Hit the person beside you. Slap them hard and say, whatever doesn't get it. Subject whatever to the law of nature. Why, well, you can't just whatever. There's going to be consequences. You drop your bowling ball off the freeway, there's going to be consequences. You can't just take your body. I know you. some of you think you're Superman. They said Muhammad, Lee, when he, Muhammad Ali, when he was going overseas to fight somewhere, that he uh, didn't buckle up. And the little stewardess came by and said, Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to buckle up. And in kind of a defiant way, he said, I'm Superman. I don't need to buckle up. And she said, You know, Superman don't need an airplane either. Buckle up. We think we're tough. We think we're big. But you see, whatever doesn't get it. You can't say, whatever. Whatever. You can't come to the civil law. It's very easy, you know, to criticize. Sometimes we criticize many people now criticizing uh, Mr. Starr. But you see, whatever doesn't get it. There is such a thing as, as civil laws. Legislation passes laws. The judges, they determine and interpret the laws. And then they appoint certain people in society to enforce the laws. And the rest of us can't just go through life and say, whatever. You killed somebody, whatever. You robbed somebody, whatever. You, uh, you afflicted pain on somebody, whatever. This is not going to work. The whatever attitude doesn't work. Whatever doesn't get it. So the prophet comes along and says, no, let's get everybody out here and determine once and for all who's in charge of this thing. So take your little idea of whatever and submit it to the test. Submit it to the test of a civil law. Submit it. Take, take for an example the fact that some people say, well, I can break the laws. I can get away with it. It doesn't really matter. No, it matters. It always matters. Whatever doesn't get it. How many know that's true? And what about your conscience? Take whatever and submit it to your conscience. The law, the principle, the so-called idea of whatever. Many people think, well, my conscience doesn't matter, but it does. Your conscience can kill you. Guilt can kill you. Guilt can destroy you. You can't just say, well, I'll do this. I'll tell this lie. I'll I'll commit this act of aggression against somebody. And whatever. There is no whatever. You can't just flip it all away with just some kind of whatever. Then take the idea of whatever and submit it to the court of public opinion. There is a court of public opinion. It's both good and bad. But, you know, we're all affected by it. Somebody said only presidents or politicians are elected. But in a sense, we're all elected. Somebody always decides how they're going to react to us or how they feel about us. Whatever doesn't get it. I sometimes say to young people, you know, it doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter how you act. Because whatever doesn't get it. You can't just say, well, I'll act any way I want to or dress any way I want to. Because whatever doesn't really get it. 
And then, lastly, we have to take the idea of whatever and submit it to the court, the final court, the only really court that matters, the court of judgment, God's judgment. Whatever. Can you imagine someone going up to heaven and saying, whatever? Because whatever doesn't really buy you anything. There has to be something beyond this idea of whatever. I don't know about you, but I would say I'm probably talking to a lot of people who were born in the apostolic church, who came into this thing, you've been in it a long time, and surely somewhere along the way, we've had to learn that just drifting and just this attitude of relax and I don't careism doesn't really get it. Whatever doesn't exist in the Bible, and whatever must not exist in my heart. We wouldn't have a country today. If Thomas Jefferson said, whatever. If Abraham Lincoln said, whatever. We never would have overcome the struggle uh, of slavery. You cannot be what God has called you to be with the idea of whatever. Because whatever doesn't get it. Whatever doesn't make you into what you ought to be. I saw, I had a little uh, Time magazine that was... uh, uh, next to me there, I was in the study, and I looked down, and I saw this Time magazine, Brother Kilgore, and on the cover of the Time magazine was a picture of this little Mars probe thing. And it affected me, and I thought, look at that. They've got this little probe thing, and they're going up out there. And I heard all the talk, how they were going to try to figure out if they could discover God or not. And they were going to do away with the idea, perhaps, of God and the whole concept of God. And here they were with their little probe, and I felt... Because you know many scientists, not all, of course, but many scientists, nothing would please them more to prove that there is no God. So here they were with their little Martian probe, and I looked at it, and I was feeling kind of an anger and a resentment. I thought, well, now that's the way it is. They're all up there trying to discover something about uh, God or whether there is a God or disprove God. And my heart was afflicted. And God said, yes, look at them. Isn't it wonderful what they're doing? I felt in the spirit, checked. Wonderful. God says they're taking that little probe and they're exploring their natural world. They're trying to figure out everything they can learn about their natural world. What are you doing about your spiritual life? What kind of deep space probes are you putting out into the spiritual world? How much are you praying? How much are you seeking after divine and holy things? I looked at that little thing and I thought, now here is an example of human beings exploring their natural world. And I'm sitting here criticizing them for going to Mars. When I am filled with the Holy Ghost and by the Spirit I can go anywhere I want to go and be whatever I want to be. So it's not enough to just criticize the world. Not enough just to look at them and say, well, they shouldn't do this or they shouldn't do that. When we're sitting here with the opportunities, the greatest opportunities of ever in the history of the world to be everything that God wants us to be. But I want to just end this day, this day services with this little idea that whatever doesn't get it, it just doesn't get it. And the prophet knew that, and that's why he wanted the people to come to grips with the reality. You see, when Abraham left the Ur of Chaldees and he went across the Euphrates River, whatever didn't get it. It wasn't just go somewhere, it was follow the will of God. It's not in the whatever, it's in the determined journey of faith. It's not in the whatever, it's in the absolute commitment that I'm going to do the right thing. Whatever doesn't get it. Abraham had to leave, not just with a whatever. He had to leave with a determination. I will take every step. I'll go every mile. I'll do everything that God has called me to do. When Moses... 
went up to the mountain and came down with tablets of stone. It wasn't whatever that got all of that tremendous thing of God in his hand, but it was the anointing of God and the power of God. Somebody say, whatever, we'll never get it. When Joseph was sent to Egypt, it wasn't just a whatever. It was the direct plan of God. This church is not a whatever, but it's because God loves us and God has chosen us. When Samuel anointed David, it was not a whatever. It wasn't just some empty nothing, but it was a determined effort to choose the right man. Not the one others would have chosen, but it was the one that God would have chosen. When Jesus was born of a virgin, it wasn't a whatever. It wasn't an empty nothing, but it was God's divine plan unfolding. When Jesus took the apostles aside and talked them, it wasn't whatever. How many believe He gave them a form of doctrine? How many believe Jesus taught them the truth and the way? How many believe that Jesus gave them the thing they needed to know? It wasn't a whatever. It was one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It isn't whatever. So here we come face to face with... So many things facing us. This generation, look at all these young people. What a magnificent thing, Brother Manga, to see all of these young people in this place. But your lives cannot be guided by whatevers. Somewhere you've got to call upon yourself. In much the same way that the prophet called upon the ancient nation of Israel. Let's get on out here. And in a sense, let's fight this out. Let's put it on the line. Let's determine where the truth really is. Because if we have hope, it can't be a fantasy. See, virtual reality is in fact not reality. It's not good enough. We get, so, we get so used to everything being artificially created for us that we forget there's something real. Now, I'm not criticizing all these electronic instruments, but I mean, you know, actually, they're not real. They're, they're an imitation of sound. Nobody wants to mess with a grand piano anymore. Look at all these musicians. Scarcely... No, some people learn to play the piano and never hardly seen a grand piano. A grand piano's got strings in it, and it's got real levers that you have to push, and the hammers have to come up and touch the strings, and you've got to keep the stress just right and the tension. You see, the sound created by a real piano is real sound. It's real pressure. It's real tightness. It's a real hammer striking a string and creating real sound. Now, I'm telling you, this is only an imitation of that. It's virtual reality. It isn't real sound. And there is a distinct difference. I'm not being critical of this rolling. It's all right. But you just bring me a grand piano out here with about nine feet of string and let somebody sit down and play that and tell me you can't hear the difference between virtual reality and the real thing. You say, well, I don't want to be the real thing. See, that's the problem. Too many people want to be a put-on. You want to be an electronic instrument. You want to be whatever. But whatever doesn't get it. Say, well, I want to make the sound of the right sound. Then you're going to have to allow yourself to be tuned and retuned. And there's going to be pressure. And there's going to be the striking of your heart and the striking of your mind. Because whatever, whatever doesn't get it. Whatever, whatever. Abraham, I want you to go, but remember, whatever doesn't get it. Brother Tenney, thank you very much. You've got to build your orders because whatever doesn't get it. You've got to understand, Moses, it's not just about some game. This is about an application of divine law upon the human race. And whatever doesn't get it. Joseph, you've got a job to do down in Egypt. But remember, whatever doesn't get it. Somewhere in the heart of all of 
We apostolics, we've got to come to this day and say, whatever doesn't get it. I've got to take up the cross and follow Jesus. Whatever is it, you know, it's an art, it's just an artificial thing. It's like wearing some kind of mask. Emotionalism doesn't get it. Just any old thing doesn't get it. Whatever is not in the Bible. There would have been no cross if Jesus had just come with whatever on his mind. He had a script, he had an agenda, he had a plan. This church would not have been built if Brother Mangan had just come with, well, whatever. We'll just hang out here for 30 years and see what happens. Ministries and lives cannot become what God wants them to become if you're just in the whatever mode. There is no whatever. There is no anything goes. There is no anything and everything is all right. There is one Lord and one faith. There is one apostolic doctrine that must be preached from the time we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night. Put your hands together and say hallelujah. Somebody say yes. Somebody say yes. Well, there is no whatever. You're standing there on the edge of that preface and your friend says, jump, whatever. No, there's no whatever. If I jump, the law of gravity is going to take over. And I don't know, there's some relationship between height and weight, and so that probably means I'm going to be in worse shape than you. There's no whatever. You can't go into the court of law and just look at the judge and say, whatever. You can't go into the drug dens and say, whatever, doesn't matter. You can't go into the bars and say, whatever. Because the consequences are going to be there and it doesn't matter who you are. So what should we do? We say, well, if Paul Mooney drinks, he gets drunk. But if Anthony Mangan drinks, he doesn't get drunk. No, the laws are applicable all the way across the board. Just the same for everybody. If I jump, I float. If you jump, you die. No. God leaves us to... You know, the idea of whatever is tested at everywhere in society. It's tested at every level of society. We let ourselves go. We let ourselves become afflicted. And we just don't ever seem to get the lesson. And we come over here in the church and we don't apply. Oh, there's one other law. There's one other courtroom, so to speak. One other place we have to come. Not just a place of public opinion. A public opinion is a, is a place where all of us get tested. There's one other place. It's called the judgment seat of God. And your whatever has to come before the judgment seat of God. Your love, your faith, where the hearts of all men are revealed. And you say, God said, you know, you thought whatever would get it, but whatever just doesn't get it. Bow your head with me right now. Somewhere in this room, there needs to be a deep commitment from somebody. I don't know about you, but I'm inspired when I learn of the prophet Elijah stepping forward and saying, this thing just doesn't fly. I went by the other night and I saw prophets sitting at Jezebel's table. And that doesn't get it. It's a whatever attitude. It's a whatever goes attitude. And whatever doesn't get it. And the word, ladies and gentlemen, whatever is not in the Bible. It's not in there. Because no plan of God, no ministry, no life, no challenge has ever been given by God in a whatever mode. There's always been things attached to it. Somebody said, should we pray? Well, whatever. As if praying has no consequences. Praying has consequences and not praying has consequences. Should we fast? Well, whatever. Should we, should we win souls? Well, whatever. 
And there is no whatever tolerated. You can't build churches, you can't build nations, and you can't build lives. You can't build ministries. You can't fulfill the call of God with an attitude of whatever. Would you pray with me right now? Jesus, in your precious name, help us, God, to be all that you've called us to be. I pray, God, that you'll strengthen us in the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us be your children. I come, God, to you right now and ask you to remove from every life and from every heart the idea of whatever. I pray, God, that there will be not one person here that would think even for one minute that they could just drift by or get by on a whatever. Because it does matter what we believe and what we stand for. It does matter who we are. I ask it now in your precious name, Jesus. In Jesus' name.